In the name of Jesus, amen. This evening we begin the season of Lent, and we do so with ashes upon our forehead as a reminder of who we are. Ashes is a sign of mourning the sin that we have committed, and yet ashes that are shaped like the cross that bore our Savior, upon which our forgiveness was won. It's good for us to begin the season of Lent this way, because it allows us to ask ourselves who we are. Are we holy and righteous like God desires us to be? Or are we sinners who deserve to die? Who deserve hell? Do we act as Christians or do we act as pagans? What hope do we have in the end? Will we live or will we die? We know the answer to these questions. You've already heard who you are as we confess together our sin and received absolution. You already know who you are as we prayed the words of the litany. You have the answer to who you are marked upon your forehead, ashes in the shape of a cross. You are a sinner. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You're dust because you are a sinner. Think about your life and the things that you've done. Pick any of the Ten Commandments and consider your life according to them. There's not a one that you have left unbroken. There's not a one that you have fulfilled perfectly. You've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what you've done and by what you've left undone. You have sinned against God by your fault, your own fault, your own most grievous fault. You haven't loved God the way you ought to. You haven't loved your neighbors as yourself. Neither have I. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short. Take those last two commandments. You have been covetous. You've desired what your neighbor has. From the small silly things like a new iPhone or a smart gadget to the big serious things like coveting your neighbor's wife. You want money, more of it, more every day. You've even advocated to get that money in the Robin Hood method, to take it away from others who have it in whatever means is necessary for you. You've been desiring that new car, the bigger house, the brand name clothes that your neighbor has. After all, you know the truth 
The grass is always greener on the other side. So take from the other side to green up your own life. In fact, the covetousness that is within each one of us is what drives our very economy. You've sinned. You've broken the ninth and the tenth commandments. So have I. And by so doing, you've not loved your neighbor the way that God desires you to. And this truth is emblazoned upon your forehead in ashes, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. You've broken the Eighth Commandment also. You've been a gossip. You've rejoiced in the television news about the celebrity or politician that you don't like who has been caught up into scandal. And instead of praying for them in their time of need, you've smiled joyfully at their circumstances and their pain. You've talked about it with your neighbors and your friends. You enjoy watching others suffer. And it's not just those who live far away in Hollywood or Washington. It's those who are near as well. You've talked about your fellow church member or family member, the one who's been a pain in your side for as long as you can remember. You've snickered at the person who asked the silly question in Bible study, the one that everyone should know. You've hurt your family member's reputation by spilling their secret sins, posting them on Facebook or Twitter. And when you have a problem with your neighbor, you don't take the time to talk to them face to face about it. But you'll talk to anyone else who will listen. And rumors float around among us just like a bunch of elementary students playing telephone. You've sinned against the Eighth Commandment, and so have I. And in so doing, we've not loved our neighbors as we ought. And that reality is emblazoned on our foreheads, for we are dust. You've broken the seventh commandment as well. So have I. We've borrowed with no intention to return. We've not helped our neighbor to maintain the things that God has blessed them with. But instead we've said, that's their property, it's their problem. You've stolen by wasting time at your job, not diligently working for the whole day and thus taken money from your employer that you don't rightly deserve. You've let your neighbor borrow money so that you can charge an exorbitant rate of interest. You've held the things they've borrowed from you over their head for your own good and for your own gain. You don't honor other people's possessions. You take them for yourself. You hoard the possessions that you have. You don't use them for the good of your neighbor. 
you violated the seventh commandment. So have I. We haven't loved our neighbors the way that God wishes we will. We are dust. The sixth commandment, well, who hasn't broken the sixth commandment in this modern day and age? Who hasn't broken it by the time they're 12 years old? Lust, perversion, homosexuality, pansexuality, pornography in videos, on computers, on phones, at work and at home. Adultery runs rampant among those who are married and as well among those who are yet to be married and still among those who are widowed. Sex has come about pleasure for self, not about God's good gift of marriage, not about the procreation of children, not about the mutual support and understanding in riches, in poverty, in sickness, and in health, till death do we part. The relationship that husband and wife have is broken more each and every day. Marriage is redefined every few months to include some new category. And there are more broken marriages than healthy marriages. Wives despise their husbands, and husbands abuse their wives. We've sinned. We haven't upheld God's good gift of marriage or sexuality. We've broken the sixth commandment. We're dust and ashes. And murder, our nation, and let's be clear, we are part of our nation. We are citizens of our nation. Our nation murders 700,000 babies every year. Countless mothers carry that guilt throughout their entire life, holding it deep down inside, weeping and mourning. And if killing our young is not enough, we fight about whether we should kill our elderly when they begin to become burdensome. If we can just pull the plug or put them to sleep like we do our pets. Those who are in the hospital or in need, we don't visit or care for the way we ought to. We don't support them in their bodily needs. The reason is we care mostly about our own bodies. We'll spend $40,000 a year on medication to keep our body running but can't spare the 49-cent can of corn to help someone who's hungry. We break the fifth commandment. We're stewards of death, not life. And so we have ashes and dust to wear. We fail to honor the authorities that we have. 
We have plenty of them. Authorities like father, mother, teacher, congressman, police officer, tax collector. And we despise all of them. We think it's our job to stick it to the man, to show the boss that he's worthless and dumb, that we're smarter than he is. We all have a little anarchist within us that makes us do foolish things. We all think we know better than God and the people he's placed in authority over us. I know how to fix the tax code. I know how to stop global warming if it exists. I know how to fix the potholes or get the snow off the roads better. I could govern better than whoever is in office now. And so we tear them down as if they are not human. In the end, all this does is hurt the office that that person has been entrusted with. And in the end, we trust no person in authority. We despise them all. We break the fourth commandment. We sin. And sin leads to death. And death is what we wear this day. And all of these things reflect a broken relationship with God. We don't believe in him the way that we ought to. We don't use his name the way that he wishes. We don't rejoice at hearing his word and having it ringing in our ears. We break the first, the second, and the third commandment. And if you doubt that, think about how hard it's been to hear what God's word says about our lives these last few minutes. You haven't wanted to hear it. I haven't wanted to hear it. I haven't wanted to say it. But I must. We are sinners. We are. We could ignore it all that we want to, but that won't make it untrue. We can pretend that we're not sinners, but we're only lying to ourselves. We can make big public donations to charity, but even that won't make up for our guilt. We're sinners. Each and every one of us were sinners. We've broken all of God's law. What is it that sinners deserve? Death. Damnation, eternity apart from God, 
in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die but continually consumes your body, where the flames cannot be quenched forever and ever and ever. That's what we have all earned. That's what's marked with ashes on our head. The fact that we ought to die forever in hell. That's what we've spent this service examining about ourselves. We are sinners, and death is assured to us. And yet, even now, the Lord says to you, return to me. Return to me. Return to me. All is not lost for you. There is hope for your sinful soul. And that hope is not found within yourself, it's not in your heart, it's not in your non-existent self-perceived goodness, it's not in your self-esteem, it's not in your good works or your charity. No. There is help for your soul and it is found in God and in God alone. It's found in the one who cries to you, return to me. Another way of saying it is this. Repent. That's what Lent is all about after all. Repentance. Repent. Repent of your sin. Repent in ashes. Repent in dust. Repent as Joel says in our Old Testament lesson. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Repent. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the minister of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord. Make not your heritage a reproach or a byword among the nations. Repent. Repent. Return. And believe the gospel, the hope for your soul is found only in Jesus, dear Christian. You are so very dear to Jesus. The ashes on your forehead are shaped like a cross for a reason. Because of Jesus, who destroyed your death upon a cross. 
Jesus knows your sin, and yet he still loves you, cherishes you, values you, no matter who you are. While you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for your sin. The Holy Son of God humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross for you, for your sin, to take it away from you forever and ever and ever. God loves you, and this is love. Not that you loved God, not that you served him perfectly, not that you give enough money, not that you do anything. This is love, that Christ loves you and gave his life as an all-atoning sacrifice for you. He has taken your sin away. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed your transgression from you. He's covered it up with his blood, by his suffering, by his passion. By his wounds, you have been perfectly, completely, totally healed. Jesus forgives your sin. He forgives all of it. The sin you've thought about when you confess your sin, forgiven. The sin that you have forgotten about from the past, forgiven. The sin that you hide deep within, letting no one see or know, forgiven. The sin that all the town knows about and gossips about, forgiven. Every last bit of it paid for by Jesus Christ and his suffering and his death. If you've sinned against the first commandment, it's forgiven. The second, the third, the fourth, forgiven. Fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandments, all covered by the precious blood of Jesus. Christ has washed away that sin in the waters of holy baptism. He's adopted you into God's family, all because he loves you. He has clothed you with his righteousness, made you beautiful and holy in the sight of all. He feeds you with his living body and blood so that you might be strengthened in faith and preserved into life everlasting, not in hell, but in the place of peace, before the face of God, where the sun shall not strike you nor any scorching heat, where there'll be no hunger or thirst, but only Christ wiping away every tear from your eyes. Jesus has given you grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. You are free from sin, free from death. You have life and life to the full in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, who became man for you, who suffered under Pontius Pilate for you, and who calls to you from the resurrection, return to me. Return. In Jesus, you are now free. Free 
to love God. Free to love your neighbor. Free to hear his word, to use his name, to believe in him perfectly. Free to give compassion and care to the people God places in your life. You're free to uphold God's good gifts of authority, life, marriage, property. You're free to be happy with the things God has given you. In Christ alone do you have all these things and more. And that's the way we begin our Lenten season. With repentant hearts, even now, returning to God and His Word. As we take the first step in this Lenten journey, we remember the hymn that we'll focus on for this entire Lenten season. O sacred head, now wounded. In the weeks to come, we'll sing these words. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior, tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor and grant to me thy grace. That's exactly what Jesus does. He pays the price and he calls you to return to him. In the name of Jesus, amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.